Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode, we'll see guests, co-hosts, and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film, and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Uh, today, we are celebrating monstrous love for Valentine's Day. Uh, so that's right, folks at home. We are we're going to dig into your lovesick psychos. Two in particular. There, there's so many high quality monster movies and movies in horror history about obsessives, about creatures that want love. Basically, every universal monster movie is about some variation of that. Uh, not every, but many of the classics. Uh, today, we're going to look at two films in particular uh, to celebrate lovesick psychos on the romanticist of romantic holidays. First, we're going to look at the original 1923 Phantom of the Opera, the Lon Chaney classic, alongside uh, an unconventional choice, I think. But if, if you've seen both films, it'll totally make sense. 1971's Vincent Price starring classic horror film, The Abominable Dr. Phoebes. Fives? Phoebes? Fives? Fives. Fives? Mm-hmm. Rhymes with vibes. Nice. Because um, I want to do Phoebes because of stupid friends. I Ugh. kept on saying Phoebes like, it, like in my brain forever until I heard vibes, yeah. and I was like, well, that's wrong. It's Phoebes. <laughs> and it's even funny because, well, oh, I think Mike and I were going to say the same thing. But uh, like in the movie, they have that conversation with multiple people. And they're like trying out like the different pronunciations, like Phoebes, Fibes, and then they're like, it's Fibes. This happens with like several people in the movie, which is funny <laughs> because I think it's a natural response to like not hearing it spoken out loud. Yeah, because like I yeah. I watched this like a little bit ago. I didn't just watch it, and so you know what, folks at home, we're gonna leave in me being an idiot because you matter. Um. <laughs> we like no, keep I, it raw I, and uncut. No, we don't I, edit at all. We don't edit the show at all. This yeah. is all. Like Literally, it's just live. That when you're hearing it, we're doing it live and neglecting our partners and loved ones. Because this is going to be on Valentine's Day. <laughs> and like to your, I mean, to your credit, like it's not a super common name that we're all very familiar with. So that's know. true. That's true. But it should be. It's it like Hermione. Oh yeah, like Hermione Harmony. Yep. <laughs> yep. Those are the two <laughs> pronunciations I said back and forth in my brain until I heard it one day, and I was like. Huh. And they're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, so fans uh, of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm a critic and entertainment journalist for Forbes, uh, also Slash Film, have some writings down at Looper, uh, uh, books and chapters. Basically, it's if it's monsters, I've probably written about it and I'm probably obsessed with it. 
I'm, I'm extremely pleased to introduce uh, our excellent co-host for today's episode. Uh, we have Andre Couture, uh, Luna Minwee, and Mike Vaughn. Welcome all, you fantastic beasties. Aw, thanks. <laughs> so, so by way of uh, explanation, so th- this is an interesting one because normally, I mean, the way that people use, you know, uh, to describe something as a monster, or they describe a human like, oh, you're a monster. Uh, you know, th- it'll, it'll be used to discuss people uh, sometimes who are, are are doing things that are inhumane that a person shouldn't do. Uh, you know, your 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 killers, your your cheaters, or whatever. It's used very casually. Now, normally on this show, we have a hard, firm line that we don't really dig into those types of uses of the term because that opens up a whole can of rhetorical worms. Uh, but for today's episode, both um, both of the characters are decidedly human and and they they share a trait where because of as they see it love, they engage in monstrous activity. I just wanted to be really clear right out the gate that so it's interesting to me because both of them are are disfigured in different ways. And I want to be 100 percent clear because uh, way back in the day, like in your 1925, you know, for example, the Phantom of the Opera and then that was remade in 43 for the Universal Slate of Films was considered a monster movie. That's how they considered it. And it's part of the Universal Classic Monsters, uh, despite the fact that is just a disfigured individual. It's not like your Frankenstein, your Dracula, your mummy. Right. Where it becomes something different. Uh, and part of that was because the character was physically deformed or disfigured. Right. Uh, and I just want to be really clear out the gate that that's not why we're covering these characters on the monster show. Because uh, I think that's bullshit. <laughs> um, but the reason why we're covering them is because they're really good cinematic examples of the more general use of the term monster and the way it's colloquially used to, de- to denote someone that's doing things a person shouldn't do that that are, are monstrous sorts of behavior. And both of these characters are motivated as they see it from love, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if anything, the Phantom of the Opera and uh, Dr. Fives are kind of like two sides of the same coin where one goes in one direction, the other a completely mm-hmm. different radical direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and this is why, because um, Luna, you were the one, if, if I recall, that suggested this topic, right? Uh, yes, I might have, <laughs> but I barely remember yesterday. So Go ahead and take credit for it. <laughs> yeah, it was totally me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's a good idea, folks, because I did not come up with it. Um, and... Uh, so it's interesting. There's so many ways to pin it, you know, because the, there's a lot of adaptations of Phantom of the Opera, even musical ones, and a sequel to a musical one. Oh God. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot, but then I always uh, thought that one we chose the 1925 because it's so visually iconic. It's Lon Chaney, the man with a thousand faces, one of the most iconic classic creature performers ever did all his own makeup just real stellar um two you can see it it's in the public domain so you can literally just pull it right up wherever you have wherever your computers are served and then um 
you know, we, we thought about, you know, do we want to pair it with one of the many other adaptations? But I love the abominable Dr. Fives because it's a very, very similar character, but the spin is very different and the motivations are different. So it's basically like if uh, it's it's like if the character from um, uh, from Phantom of the Opera succeeded in his pursuit of love and then went horribly awry and then there's vengeance happening. Um, absolutely. So yeah, yeah I was. I, you're absolutely right. I did suggest this. I totally forgot. But yes, I love uh, the depiction of Phantom of the Opera all, in almost every iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about this lovesick bastard. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Um, uh, so um, shall we begin? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so first, you know, like we're gonna do when we often do when we have more than one film, we'll we'll, we'll summarize it and then kind of give our ratings. Um, summarize a second, give our ratings, then start digging into the the depths of of pairings, etc. Um, uh, I'm I'm prepared to to summarize Phantom of the Opera, but if if one of you fine folks would want to, um, I'm not opposed. No, I think go for it. You're on a roll. All right. Um, most of this is just off the top of my head, so hopefully I'm not coming across. Well, your head is very, very like, what's the word? Stately? No, that's not the word. I don't know. Your head is basically a library. <laughs> I'll I'll take stately. That's that's complimentary. So thank you. Um, so fan of the opera, uh, silent horror classic. Um, you have this uh, aspiring young opera singer, Christine, and she comes to find out that she has a mysterious admirer who wants to help her, um, you know, foster her her career success, uh, help her become a lead performer. So uh, there, he's a masked character um, named, uh, he, he goes by the Phantom, um, surprise. Uh, his real name is Eric, and he's a, a disfigured recluse. He often wears a mask, and he lives underneath the Paris Opera House, as one is known to do. If I had to, like, off the record, live under a place, that's as good as one as any. Um, and this is why I was upset that Andre was, like, able to triangulate what was around you from the reverberation of your voice. Yeah. I was yeah. like, shit, he's going to know I'm lurking under the opera house. <laughs> it's like, wait, I hear a little resonance uh, in, it's not the instruments, but it's human voice resonating off them. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, For a little context, we spent about 50 to 80 minutes audio troubleshooting from our respective remote locations. And we're basically I did go to art school. So I was trained to hear like a bat. <laughs> and was able to pinpoint those things. And of course, not in the microphone that I needed to pinpoint those things in. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah that's, and, that's what happens and, when you get like obsessed. And for a little more clarity, even bats would be impressed because they can hear off their own vocalizations in their own surrounding. But he could hear that sort of shit through like headphones from someone else's being in a different room that he's not in it's fucking weird honestly but i love it it's wonderful yeah. um, also shout out to my favorite uh bat subscriber on the pod birdie how you doing 
Yeah, can't can't let Birdie uh, down. Um, it's our one South American listener. <laughs> and we love you 100%. Um, so here's the thing. Not all is, is hunky-dory and Parisian love land because uh, the Phantom takes Christine prisoner and then demands her devotion and her affection. He's so obsessed. And her suitor... Um, uh, the Vicomte Raoul de, uh, I'm not going to botch another pronunciation, um, sets out to rescue her from this masked, mad individual who is obsessed with Christine. Um, it's interesting that Universal remade the film in, in 43. Um, unfortunately, Lon Chaney had already passed away uh, a while ago, uh, a while back from then. And... Uh, but even still, you know, Hammer Horror made one. There have been so many adaptations. But the most famous one visually is still the 1925 classic because the unmasked visage of, of Lon Chaney's, he did his own makeup and everything of, of his interpretation of the character is so iconic that we remember the silent film and that's what it is. It's either that or the musical. Those are your options, you know, of, of mm-hmm. the ones that have lasted culturally, which is really amazing because it's almost 100 years ago. Snap. Ah, yeah. I was I was not ready for that realization. <laughs> I was um, going to say, um, since Lon Chaney Sr. was the original Phantom, well, not the original, but like in the 1925 version, mm-hmm. um, by 1943, Lon Chaney Jr. was already established in the universal monster you know universe as the mm-hmm. wolfman yep um i wonder if he had any um like official opinions or say in like maybe some aspect of production for the 43 version of phantom because i do see that so claude rains played eric slash the phantom in that version mm-hmm. uh, so i don't know if maybe he just like gave him like his posthumous father's blessing or if he was just like yeah i'm not part of this at all you know oh, i don't no, know the answer you... to that question it's a great question i'm actually looking that up as i'm speaking and it looks like he was pretty unhappy that they never considered him to play the role so I he, he resented claude reigns for his portrayal according to uh this classic monsters article on phantom of the opera Damn. I, I mean, that's understandable, I think, if you feel like it's part of your, your legacy, you know, it'd be kind of an honor to take on your father's role. Um, yeah, totally. I'd be pissed. And he's and he's an amazing performer. Yeah. Plus, uh, Hollywood was pretty famous and still is uh, in its first uh, stop of like nepotism in terms of like casting and production hiring and just them skipping over him. Probably felt pretty shitty. Mm hmm. The art world is ruthless. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so so Luna, I, I wanted to ask you, because I know that you really connect with these phantom adaptations and the story as a whole. And I wanted to kind of ask you why. Sure. Um, so I think Phantom was my first like horror story. I honestly, it was a story to me well before I ever watched anything. And it was it was introduced to me by my my dance instructor, my ballet instructor. And so I thought that it was such a cool concept of like, you're a performer, Christine Dye, ballerina, 
and and opera singer and and some uh, uh she's always a singer but she's a ballerina first in many iterations and so um and then you have the secret admirer that is uh leaving you roses and so my dance instructor used to leave me a red rose with a black ribbon um in my locker while I was performing and then at the end of the show I'd get there and I'd see the the rose and it would just make me feel so good and appreciated and loved from my instructor. Mm-hmm. And so I had this like kind of fucked up view of the Phantom of the Opera. I did see it as this like really romantic concept first. And then I read the story and then I watched it and I was like, oh he's kind of a dick. <laughs> but <laughs> I I did think that like he was maybe one of the first sympathetic monsters for me. Like I really felt for the guy. Like I really, I hated that people treated him poorly because of his physical appearance. Mm -hmm. I thought that it was tragic that this incredibly talented artist was basically forced into hiding and therefore forced into never feeling love Mm -hmm. uh, because of, the his physical appearance and then when he does find love like she kind of reciprocates but really doesn't especially in some iterations especially in the 25 Mm -hmm. um it's not really uh there's not really a blurry line there it's pretty clear she's not happy with him Mm -hmm. um it's a little bit different in the later versions but i thought that it was a really romantic sweet idea and then as i got older i was like that that's like really fucked up isn't like, it no thank you yeah so um and so like you know i i don't like him for that uh but i still think the concept is really romantic of like you admire this artist that that is so complimentary to your work from afar and you and you let them know that you appreciate them and mm-hmm. then you you fall in love with them and they fall in love with you and then you need to run away then that whole other part where she has this other lover raul who i hated when i was younger and now that i'm older i'm like ooh, kind of rooting for raul um mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh you know that that didn't really play into the formative my formative um years of falling in love with the phantom of the opera so really it's it's kind of lopsided for me why I love it, but because I loved it, I dug into it like a lot. Yeah. I love that the setting is the opera, you know, um, the Parisian opera house and the catacombs under Paris. I was like, Oh, it's definitely real. He was definitely down there. You know, like it's, there's just so much there that I love. I'm a Francophile. So Mm -hmm. I love the idea of this French setting and, um, and just when it comes to the horror aspects, like the, I just thought that Phantom was such a powerful figure. Like he reserves his own box, despite him being this like, you know, disfigured, rejected mm-hmm. figure in the eyes of society. He's like, no, I have my own box. I'm creating my own power because I am the writer of music and I am helping this 
this artist be even more the, of herself. And I just thought that he was so, such an empowering figure mm-hmm. to me in this really fucked up backwards way. Um, and then, you know, like I said, I, as I got older, I was like, oh, weird, 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 weird. <laughs> I think that is such a, uh, a thoughtfully nuanced understanding of the character, though, because uh, I mean, every adaptation, of course, treats him as more or less sympathetic. The the feelings is more or less reciprocated. You know, um, this one, he's more of a straight obsessive villain. But it it. You know, he does have to live a life of solitude and social rejection uh, that he doesn't deserve. And that certainly would breed bitterness in most people. Right. And then he he carries on anyway, like he carries on like fine tuning his art Mm -hmm. and his composition of music, um, helping her perform better Mm -hmm. and eventually he's like well no i'm going to stand firm and you're going to have to make a space for me um and he's kind of bitter about stuff like if you're gonna cross him he might kill you i mean who doesn't but when it comes to you know the the love aspect there was just something really romantic about it for me yeah um and and then you know now i appreciate um tokens of gratitude at the after my show but uh, I would prefer it to not come from a stalker. So, yeah, that would yeah. be just that'd be great. We're a we're a very anti-stalking show. Um, Love it. If if uh, if anyone is like looking for a podcast that's like pro stalker, I would suggest you look elsewhere. <laughs> Damn right. No, thank you to that. <laughs> um, but before we go into um the uh the, the our, our reviews. It's a couple fun factoids. Uh, first of all, it was based off of Gaston LaRue's uh, 1910s sort of uh, serialized novel. And um, uh, it's, uh, I want to reiterate, Lon Chaney did his own makeup for it, which is kind of amazing. And so cool. Yeah, he d- he put on, you know, black paint, false teeth, and he uh, inserted wires into his nose in order to to pin it up and contort his face further, which is baller shit. Like yeah, that is commitment. insane. Right. Like, so quite frankly, Lon Chaney, mad respect to you. Good gentleman. Um, hopefully you can hear that in the past and you'll be really freaked out, but it'll be complimentary nonetheless. Um, Woohoo. And then uh, there are rumors. Well, there's all sorts of weird issues with the production of the film. Um, so uh, they had to cut different versions of it in response to to audience testing. And if I remember right, the version that we have. Um, so reportedly, the original film was such a disaster in testing that it was majority was reshot after a January premiere. And the second version was booed off the screen. And then they cut it a third time. That's an amalgamation of the two. And that's the version that we have reportedly. Um, and then there's also rumors that Cheney, um, dirt, like the crew had turned on the director to some degree and, and Cheney had directed all or the majority of his own scenes. Um, 
and uh, I haven't done a thorough investigation of all those, but I do know that it was widely reported to be like very tumultuous and um, cray cray. But nonetheless, uh, Lon Chaney's a baller, so it still ends up being pretty spectacular, at least the version that we have. Um, Awesome. Yeah. And it's interesting when you say different versions because they're actually they actually did re-record or actually record um, sound for a 1930 uh, version, which sadly, a lot of that audio did not survive. But the Kino Classics actually has um, some, um, um, I guess, snippets from the um, sound reissue version. so, and, and it's kind of weird because there is um, like a like a standard version, and then there's also a like um, basically a a alternate version that some of the scenes um, are kind of rearranged. It's it's kind of confusing, yeah. um, but it's um, a, again that's something that's also on the Blu-ray. Um, this is definitely not sponsored, but the uh, Kino Classics, if you really want to see it in, in a really awesome edition. And uh, it has some great features, but uh, yeah, it's kind of wild. But I didn't know, um, Jeff, about the uh, some of the behind yeah, the scenes drama. Crazy. It's pretty um, interesting. And then, uh, yeah, we love we love Kino on the show, especially when we're talking about classic film. Um, I will say that since it is in the public domain, uh, folks at home, if you want to make your own cut of Phantom of the Opera, uh, you can do it and no one's going to come for you. Uh, <laughs> so we could have 100 cuts of the film and it'll be majestic. <laughs> OK, counter idea. We make it. But we make it with just pugs. I'm into it. Counter counter idea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, we already have our star. Okay, so for <laughs> our reviews, uh, Luna, would you like to go first? Sure. Yeah, I had a hard time thinking about how I would review this just because it's like, do I review this like in solidarity or in the context of all the phantoms? And if I look at it by itself, I, I guess I should say, if I look at it in the context of all the Phantoms, it is not one of my favorites. Uh, but it is, mm-hmm. it is up there. I would give it a four out of five because mm-hmm. it is incredibly iconic because of what you mentioned about his makeup, the reveal, um, and just the, the acting in the silent film era is, it, you can't really compare it to after um Mm -hmm. but for a silent film i mean it's it's pretty spectacular for a silent film i would say it's a five but in the Mm -hmm. broader context i would give it a four out of five i think that's all super fair um because yeah it, it is a kind of a different standard they they had you know to compensate for the lack of certain tools that that are now central um yeah uh, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll comment more when we, we get to my review, but thank you very much. Uh, Andre, uh, would you like to go next? Yeah, uh, I, I kind of resonate here with, with Luna. Approaching it more as like 
a product of the period in which it was made. So obviously, uh, the the silent physical portrayal of the Phantom is above all like way more grandiose than even really any of the other roles in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, like with Christine's portrayal, she's kind of basic in her portrayal, mm-hmm. not in the derogatory term mm-hmm. basic, you know, but... Um, she's a basic bitch. <laughs> she's, yeah, well, <laughs> she might be back then, <clears throat> but, you know, we didn't have Starbucks then, so there's no way to really tell. <laughs> it's like, like, go to Wikipedia and update, like, the cast, like... Um, Christine, comma, uh, basic bitch. She, yes. Yeah. But, but she does seem the type to, if she got the chance, uh, order pumpkin spice lattes. Yeah. yeah like, wear jeggings in the opera house. <laughs> hey, and there's nothing wrong with that. Pumpkin spice lattes are really good, and jeggings are under, well, jeggings are not right? understandable. But. <laughs> I can realistically say this because my wife, who is a classically trained vocalist um, who does sing operatic pieces, is, and she will back me up on this, uh, a basic bitch in that regard, where (laughs) she does order those PSLs and she gets those. So what you're saying is that she's living her best life. Yeah. You know what? And bless her Unapologetically so. (laughs) You know what? Yeah. This is like, she's not worried about what anyone else thinks of her. Um, that, and that's that's, that's the best way to go about that's beautiful. it. Beautiful, damn right. Uh, but that being said, yeah, four to five um, stars from me. I, I was going to bring up the um, just the way that the phantoms and uh, Raoul's like uh, near like toxic oh, opposite man. of a love yeah. triangle is mm-hmm. it, it very much falls in line with um, if anyone goes to art school or studies. Uh, like classical Baroque romantic music history there are so many of those like situations where composers hung out with other composers and then started noticing their wives were what's up so they started uh, like cheating on each other's wives sleeping with other composers wives and shit like this actually happened pretty often Um, so this could be a commentary on uh, some of that is mm. my thinking. Damn. We just yeah, got deep. I mean, if you want a good time, I would recommend checking out the uh, basically almost soap opera-ish antics of Clara Schumann and uh, Johannes Brahms. Really? Like, they wrote love letters to each other. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm about to get we, into some just... Baroque-ass drama. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Same with, say. like, Mahler's wife. She was with everyone. <laughs> anyway, uh, four out of five stars for <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. Uh, it's it's a little bit deeper than you'd think in terms of like the accusatory tendrils pointing out to like everyone instrumental mm-hmm. in the arts and music scene. It's also it's very fun, especially like as the film gets further towards its conclusion. You're just glued to this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once it starts to feel inevitable, I always feel the same way. Um, but I, I will say that, uh, folks at home, y- you didn't even know the treat you got because you came for the monsters and you you get the, the surprise privilege of knowing the skinny on the old school music scene. Like, you didn't even know there was so much drama. Nope. Did you? I didn't. <laughs> yeah. 
I learned a thing today. Um, thank you for that. I love it. Um, thank you so much for your review. Um, Mike, would you uh, like to go ahead? Yeah. Um, so the Phantom of the Opera is uh, kind of a mixed bag for me. I, I, li- I like it overall. Um, Lon Chaney, of course, is amazing. And um, he basically steals the show. Um, like the story. Um, is good i feel like it's sort of a product of you know um mid-20s storytelling where i feel like the characters weren't as um richly developed as they maybe could have um you know again there's some plot elements that i feel like um they don't really explore or there's some things that i feel like they could have maybe they only touched on which they could have elaborated on a little bit more but um you know it it has some really spectacular sequences um like the um chandelier falling Mm. is pretty pretty jaw-dropping especially for like mid the mid-20s um so uh yeah i i think it's uh good i think that um there's certainly other adaptations that i like more but um yeah overall it's um great i mean i I like Nosferatu more if we're talking about like really awesome, like silent um, mm-hmm. horror films, um, because, you know, that had more of like the German expressionism um, aspect going for it. Yeah, it, it's just I, th- I think for anybody that's looking to get into silent films, I feel like I know we talked about this um, on another show, but I feel like it's re uh, mentioning that like horror is like the for me like the easiest way to get into silent films because you know horror is such a visually provocative and expressive um medium so yeah i mean um so phantom you couldn't you definitely can't go wrong with it it's it's really iconic uh just for lon chaney mm-hmm. um again stories okay um some of the acting is a little over the top, um, but again, as Andre was saying, it's definitely sort of a product of like the mid twenties. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's a good movie. I wish um, it could have been better, but mm-hmm. um, Jeff, you said that there's a lot of drama, so maybe it's it's probably um, we're probably lucky it turned out as as good as it did considering yeah Yeah, i'm with you yeah maybe that this production was had something to do with um the overall like general um not as the 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 general ungrandness of the entire thing like uh, you could probably tell that maybe the original director was there for like the chandelier scene uh, the opening, yeah. maybe some of the catacombs, but like uh, you can tell uh, when yeah. it was taken yeah. over. I mean, it, it, there there is times when it's so visually awesome and atmospheric, and like that's that's all great. But then when it comes to like some of the story elements, I feel like that's when it starts to get a little shaggy. And um, yeah, I mean, but it it it. it it's good you know it's like a for effort um i mean 
I, I mean, Cheney really is the centerpiece of this film. Yeah. I mean, he is why I think this movie is still oh, yeah. so fondly remembered. I mean, that makeup is still chilling. Stellar, um, really. Yeah, so I would say, like, I would also probably give it, like, a four out of five. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much, and for your, your nuanced consideration, all of you. Um for for me, I basically uh, echo a lot of what you're saying. I think there's, you know, there's there's some weaknesses to the story uh, and some of the other aspects of its production, which would make sense if it was as chaotic as described. And also the fact that the final product is a composite of more than one cut um, might explain some of its tonal disunity. Perky jerkiness. Yeah, herky jerkiness. <laughs> exactly. Um but I I will say that Lon Chaney's performance and his his makeup and his visage has so much potency even still. Like like I said in my introduction, there's the reason why that's still what one of the two ways we picture the story, depending on if we're, you know, a musical person or a horror history person is due to his strengths as both a performer and as a makeup artist and one of the classic icons of early horror cinema. I'm definitely with you, Mike, that Nosferatu is my jam or The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari if we're we're talking about 1920s horror. But I will say there's so much potency in Lon Chaney's um, performance and it's it's a wonderful showcase for someone that was so pivotal in the development of you know, early American horror cinema. And since we've lost some of his most probably iconic roles, like London After Midnight, it's it's I'm glad that we have it, even though it's a bit messy. So it's kind of a five star performance and maybe a three star movie for me. Um, so, yeah. I'm going to average that out to four stars like everybody else. <laughs> um, yeah, and... I, I was going to add that um, if Lon Chaney were not in this film, it would probably have just been another Phantom of the Opera. Uh-huh. It might not have even gotten to the point where Universal would eventually remake it. Right. So maybe like the advent of him uh, just having been cast in this thing was the thing that... Um, near immortalize the film i would absolutely yeah. agree with that yeah i mean it, it if it weren't it. him absolutely if it weren't him in that role i was gonna say was that we probably wouldn't even be talking about it mm-hmm. yeah like you'd have two pretty cool sequences like the chandelier probably still mm-hmm. and maybe some of the catacombs basically all anyone would talk uh, the about the opening scenes pretty fun mm-hmm. yeah or like the framing of those underground scenes are just mm-hmm. so cool I would like. It's almost like yeah, a, a and, side view of German expressionism, or like, you know, like a different angle of how, um, you know, scenes of say, cabinet of Dr. Caligari would be shot, but just at a flat angle, which is mm-hmm. not as exciting, but still kind of interesting. Like, it has almost like an M.C. Escher-ish quality to it. Mm. Yeah, and I thought that that I, you know, watching it again now, I thought that there was a lot of intention there, or there could have been a lot of intention there, um, especially in the sequences where Christine is 
appearing to be drugged or or in a trance or whatever that is that that coincides with these scenes that you're talking about. So I was thinking about what the intentions of certain shots and framing uh, were in relation to Christine's experience and memory of what's happening. Since you couldn't really do like a do 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 do. This is a dream sequence. Do 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 do. Like you can't mm-hmm. do that in silent film. So, like, um, and not not subtly anyway. So if there was a subtle intention of saying, well, Christine is in a trance right now and she's not sure if she's dreaming or if this is real as she's going down. I thought that that the way that they filmed it was very uh, clever. Yeah, it's still like visually very clear, but I, I'm guessing that um, the the director and also other films at the time just hadn't developed that visual language for telling the audience, like, this is not mm-hmm. real. Or like this is, um, this is an exaggeration of the real events. But like, where like maybe she was realistically in a sewer the whole time. Mm-hmm. She just imagines like this underground like waterway, like with the boat mm-hmm. sequence. It's like super dreamy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't really that. No, way. like they trudge through it like sewage later. Yeah, it was just like a bunch of rats and discarded. Um, Starbucks cups everywhere. <laughs> uh, but it could also be taken that way, too. It's just been so long now that I'm not sure if there's a definitive way to look at it other than what we literally see uh, set up on screen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I love it. Uh, I, that, that's a good question. I wish we could kind of <clears throat> dig into that aspect a little bit more. But but altogether, I think um, they did pretty well for 1925. Yeah. Or, um, and uh, it's still the fact that we're ta- literally talking about it and it's not a recovering, an, an unseen classic. Like, it's something that people know if you see that visage, like, you know what it's from. That is very impressive. And you can't say that about much. True. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it would have been so interesting if the remake from the 40s would have... I mean, because I don't I don't think the I know we're not really talking about that version, but um, I don't think it's very the good. The one? If I'm being honest. It's pretty well, it's boring yeah. as hell. Um, yeah, it's 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 really unforgivingly dull. And, it, you know, I only bring this up because I feel like, you know, if Lon Chaney had lived longer and they got him to do it, would that have maybe shaped the material to be a little more like... A, lo- a little more aligning to the 20s version, but like with a more fleshed out, um, st- like storytelling. Mm-hmm. If he had been like around for it, uh, they probably would have told him, You're too old to direct this or whatever. That may or may not have um, dissolved him from the project, but I think that he would, at the very least, been involved in some production aspects, like makeup, production design, maybe um, having a say in who gets called into the project to to work on those visual aspects mm-hmm. and maybe even demand that his son gets either cast or involved in the in the, in the production in some way um even if like his son played the 43 version of like raul if that had happened we might have had uh a much more improved upon version of the 25 yeah film mm-hmm. where like even then his father could direct his son 
on the character if he ended up playing uh, the Phantom. So this is a really good example. The Phantom of the Opera story is a really good example of someone becoming monstrous through they interpret it as love, but it's very much obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, he's as such an early character too. really the Phantom is uh, an interesting prototype in cinema history for, I mean, of course you're going to have your Shakespeare, you're going to have your epic poems, you're going to have lots of historical stories about obsession in, in romance. But for cinema history, you can see him as the prototype for all sorts of characters, even like Joe and you recently, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, that they think it's love and it's really dangerous obsession and it makes them monstrous. Um, but for Dr. Fibes, it's, you know, like was mentioned before, another side of the same coin. Uh, so for the abominable Dr. Fibes and then Dr. Uh, or Fibes Rides Again or, or something like that is the, the sequel. Is that right? Fibes Rides Again? Is it Rides? Rides or Rises? I can't remember. Rises. Mm-hmm. Just rises, like, yeah. Remixed it in my noggin. <laughs> um, it's been a long life. Uh, <laughs> so in the abominable Dr. Fibes, um, it's uh, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it's basically like uh, the if the Phantom's love was successful and something went awry, what would he do? Um, so for the abominable Dr. Fibes in in uh, so he's an organist that is horrifically disfigured in in a car accident and he's presumed dead. Everybody thinks that he's dead. And he learns after the fact that his wife died during an operation and he blames her surgical team and plots uh, an extensive elaborate doesn't even really cover it um, on extensive revenge plot to individually kill every single member of the surgical team in ways that in, in ways that reflect the biblical plagues. And so, cause for some reason, I mean, just killing them in revenge wasn't enough. He wanted to make a spectacle out of it. And these are elaborate. Like he puts someone in like a animatronic mask that crushes their skull in, in the, in the type of kill that would make like John Kramer in the saw films, wish he thought of it mm-hmm. you know? well that yeah. one's pretty light for john kramer like there's the one where this this is later on and like i i hope that none of these are spoiling any aspect of the movie um because like the the information about why they're necessarily being targeted or killed does come out quite a bit later in the in the film yeah so it's a very um simple film in regards to like why anything is happening but it's still so fantastical and so visually astounding that like it doesn't matter if you already know like most of the things that happen in it anyway like you still have to see it to believe it's an amazing ride but 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 the um the sequence where he gets the actual surgeon to operate on his son Mm -hmm. who he has then put a key into his body close to his heart and says he has six minutes to extract said key before the slowly creeping acid above his son's face drips on and disfigures his face as Dr. Fives' Mm -hmm. face was disfigured. 
that is like the most John Kramer saw shit uh, than any other like I would say like Saw sequel. Oh yeah! Like, if they did this for a new Saw movie, I would actually be really happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so poetically yeah, it's dark and so up. clear. Yeah. Um, but the the yeah, and so for you know, apologies for for leaking the why of it all uh, so early and spoiling that, but uh, it's so. It, them- I think it's in the description. Yeah, if you're but gonna yeah, look like for some, it, some people. Yeah, it's it's not. It doesn't ruin the experience, which is most of like what I would consider uh, spoilers for a movie. Mm-hmm. This one is just like the it's all about the the, the grandiose. Um, presentation of the thing. Yep. Um, and it's um, you can't really talk about its its thematic mm-hmm. richness without really getting at the why of it all. Uh, it's mm-hmm. such an interesting, um, and, it's, and it's all about basically an obsessive campaign of murderous revenge because of of him losing someone that he loved and it driving him to become that. So it really is like the other side of the coin for a very similar character. A couple of fun facts. It's, it's, it stars, uh, you know, my main man, Vincent Price, uh, VP. Another horror icon. Um, so the the he wears a lot of makeup in the film. And so Price's lines were largely dubbed after filming. And uh, it's it so his co-star um, Joseph Cotton plays Doctor Vesalius, who's his chief, you know, object of his revenge. And uh, Joseph Cotton was actually kind of irritated because uh, he felt that Vincent Price had it easy getting to dub so many of his lines after the fact. Um, <laughs> Peter Cushing, uh, Hammer Horror Legend and Star Wars legend was actually going to have the role that, that went to cotton, but turned it down because his wife was seriously ill. So oh, wow. we almost got Peter Cushing in the role uh, opposite Vincent price. I, I feel that cotton does a good job. Um, obviously more Peter Cushing is all always better. Well, Cushing is actually in the, the follow-up. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I mean, not as that character. That's right. Um, it would have been awesome to have him be in this one, but you get to see him eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's there. <laughs> uh, we do get, uh, I love this character actor, the British character actor, Terry Thomas as Dr. Longstreet. And like, yeah, this, this movie has very different portrayals and, um, analyses of like how some people process different versions of affection like there's dr fibes's version of affection which is like the bordering on insane monomaniacal sociopathy yeah there's like the marital aspect of it there's the familial aspect and then terry thomas has uh kind of a pretty hilarious sequence where like when you're watching his character and his he's being threatened with um being targeted by dr fibes he decides to spend his evening watching like a 16 millimeter uh i I think it's like a striptease dance or something and he's just like drinking brandy while he's cranking the projector and he's just like he knows it's gonna get saucy (laughs) and then his (laughs) uh his building attendant i think i can't remember exactly who it was but she walks in on him and he's like trying to play it (laughs) off as if uh he's 
you know, he just put the screen up to block the draft. I just, I just love the, the, I just want to pause for a second and say how much I love, like, the, the linguistic, um, description of, like, yeah, so he's, you know, um, uh, there's this, like, 16 millimeter, uh, striptease, and he's cranking it, and <laughs> he just <laughs> yeah, exactly. adds a lot. <laughs> Beautiful. But, like, he's also, like, he's just making grunting noises as he just, like, gulps brandy down and like <laughs> it cuts back to the film strip you know where we see what he sees and like nothing really much has changed like there's this exotic dancer dancing with a snake and then like she does this move where like the snake she raises it and then she puts the snake's head in her mouth and then it cuts back to terry thomas and he's like mm. and he like takes his gulp of brandy and it's very lusty you know mm-hmm. Just goes to show you that everyone celebrates Valentine's Day in a slightly different way. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, <laughs> and and however you want to do it is fine, unless of course it's like an elaborate murder revenge plot or like kidnapping a woman in an opera house. We don't approve either of those things. Or you can just be cranking your own uh, knob. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Um, I do want to add, too, that the plot takes place in 1925, which is also uh, that's when he supposedly resurfaces from having been thought dead and uh, goes on this elaborate revenge plot. So basically, I mean, the fact that that's the same year that Phantom of the Opera came out, the, the original one is almost certainly not accidental. So they don't really claim to be remaking Phantom. Obviously, the plot's not the same. The M.O. is not the same but but it's not a phantom of the opera movie but it's basically a phantom of the opera movie mm-hmm. um yep but uh andres uh would you like to to review it first since i know you just recently um came to it it is pretty fantastic and i think where phantom of the opera sets up the structure of um said love lost or like an outcast monster that is known to a community. This one is kind of the inverse in a way where um, it's definitely way more sinister, or rather the doctor in Fibes is way more sinister, but decidedly so, where he, he feels he needs to enact revenge in order to not gain the love of his dead wife, but finish the finish the work that he's set out to do. It's a weird version of Avengers. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, but rather he's just the Avenger. Uh, yeah, single yeah. Avenger. <laughs> the trajectory that he sets for himself is so over the top that I, I think matches the near over the top aesthetic of a lot of silent performances, but specifically in this, um, maybe even just like pointing towards Lon Chaney's performance as the um, very artistic yet still acceptable over the top portrayal of the Phantom, mm-hmm. um, in which I think it's such a great commentary slash reaction to um, maybe even that specific version of Phantom, the 25 version, mm-hmm. in that um, I think this even uh, surpasses it and becomes uh, a singular point of inspiration for anything else that would later draw upon that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this came out in 71, so yeah, very much um, uh, like inspiring and um extremely influential visually like you can even point to uh de palma's phantom of the paradise which borrows heavily from this like Mm -hmm. 
yeah. especially visually the whole aspect of Dr. Fives having to speak through a tube. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, never let him pass you the ox cord at parties. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> w- with that being out there, I, I would say this is a four and a half star oh, movie cool. for me. Like extremely superb. Love it. Um, I'm so glad you got to experience it. Uh, I'm happy that I could suggest something that I know you've seen so much stuff. Uh, that's a fresh wash for you. Um, and I'm glad you dug it. Um, it's coming out on Kino Lorber with the double feature of the sequel, Dr. Fives Rises Again. And after having seen this for the first time, I know I'm going to get it. So if anyone listening to this uh, has seen it, has not seen it, watch it, buy it, um, if you can. Yeah, honestly, like the, the first time I watched it, I was uh genuinely surprised that it like that I'd missed out on having watched it so long cuz it's actually very very good and engaging um full of surprises I I'll get to review it later so I'm not going to go too far into it but uh I do want to pivot to to Luna cuz this is a first for you as well right Yep Yeah I watched this last night as well and at first I was like what is happening Mm -hmm. and did I start the wrong (laughs) film (laughs) and I kept going it's it's kind of a a characteristic of some a certain group of films from the 70s where it's like hang on a minute we'll let you know what's going on um and which I actually ended up really enjoying and then my second thought was like this is an interesting oogie boogie gimp suit crossover (laughs) film (laughs) <laughs> um, Oogie Boogie is now super into fetish and plays the organ and then after that I started getting into the film so I ended up I guess what drew me in was the intricacy of these planned murders and Vincent Price certainly is a, a strong character in the film but the creativity of the deaths really is what like got me excited like I was like ooh what's Mm -hmm. next ooh what's next and then of course the culmination um so also do locusts clean off the bone I don't know I meant to look that up I don't know Um, also what was that green slime yeah yeah I was gonna say like I always thought it was like some kind of like vegetable mash maybe that they ate I don't know yeah I don't know yeah, I had questions about that scene. Uh, but in general, I, I thought it was a really fun ride that I didn't realize I was getting on. I, I started out pretty skeptical. Um, but I I dug it. I don't know that I'm, like, dying to see the, the sequel or anything, but I can see the, um, the importance mm-hmm. of this film in the context that we're talking about when it comes to someone that loves so hard that they are doing the literal opposite mm-hmm. and and killing and i found it interesting that in the confrontation like i don't know if i read this incorrectly and maybe you can let me know if you read it this way as well but it felt like dr fibes was like when the surgeon was like i didn't kill her like we were trying to save her like eventually at the end he was just kind of like I don't know whatever she's dead so <laughs> fuck you um, and I thought that that 
was a really excellent choice for that character. Mm -hmm. So overall, I thought that the characters were great. I thought that the deaths were great. I thought that the frog head was fantastic. I mean, that's one of my favorite kills I've ever seen in a horror movie. Absolutely. So I would also give it a four out of five. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I connected with you as well. Um, Yeah. You know, um, uh, I don't know. It's just uh, so clever and such an interesting riff on the character. Um, Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, Mike, what about you, good sir? Uh, Yeah. So I've been insanely excited to talk about this because I've seen this like many times and I got really excited when you suggested we talk about this. So, uh, yeah, so I had seen this many times. I actually saw it like on VHS back in the day cause I'm old. Um, <laughs> and then, um, like got it on DVD, Blu-ray, um, Andre, you said you pointed out that, um, Kino Lorber's um, putting it out again, um, this April, but yeah, it, it's a, a wonderful razor sharp horror um, comedy, very black comedy. Um, I know y'all pointed out, but it's very stylish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a really interesting deco look, which I love. Um, it also really feels like it's interesting because I didn't really notice this when I first started watching it. Um, when I first started wa- to um, actually watching a lot of Vincent Price movies um, was like kind of when I discovered this along with some other ones, but um, watching it a little bit older, I feel like this is a very much a, um, a love letter to Vincent Price and his older films, like his, his Mm -hmm. um, Corman Poe films where, you know, it's, it plays almost like a greatest, greatest hits of his films, but it's never like done in a kind of mocking, making Mm -hmm. fun of Price's movies. It's more of just like a really loving homage. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because like, you know, I see a lot of like other, like, films of prices in this like you know you know you always kind of have like the the dead wife the um different tropes um again that's where i kind of feel like it's a really nice sort of like i said greatest hits but um yeah this movie's fantastic and it's so clever it's has an amazing cast um the 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 comedy might be a little bit um, too broad at times for some people. I, I think that it is so over the top that you almost kind of need an energy and comedy to match that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that was already pointed out, but um, great observation because you do kind of need something that's a little more, like I said, broad and over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, um it's a horror movie from the early seventies, but it has such a, um, old school feel like almost like a quaint, like you wouldn't even think that this is like the same decade that brought like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Mm -hmm. and, uh, films like that. But, but, um, you know, and and again, I guess it's because it's like set in the mid twenties and you kind of had that, um, 
sort of like perceived innocence. Um, and, you know, Vincent Price wasn't really into doing like movies that were like ultra gory, even though I mean, this movie is there's a lot of creative kills, but it's never really like mean spirited, um, like splattery, which I love. Don't get me wrong, but it's also kind of nice when you can like like this is something I could totally show like my my niece is starting to get into horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And um like I could I feel like I could easily show her this cuz it's very tame. Yeah. Um and and again like it's it's such such a fun movie and but it's so stylish and um yeah, gosh, I would say it's like a 5 out of 5. I'd probably give it a, a 6 out of 5 <laughs> if I could. Uh, Love it. Um I'm uh, yeah, I was so happy that um that you were so happy because I, I I wanted to companion that one with uh, uh I, I floated the that we companion with Phantom of the Opera and uh, well yeah when you said that I was like we we went from like best friends to super yeah, best friends it's such a perfect I think so because yeah, yeah it's, it's just such a perfect companion I think um and and it also basically takes the Phantom and puts him in a different narrative instead of a totally consistent one but a, a different narrative instead of just remaking the same film. It's very clever. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, I feel like it might be one of my f- all-time favorite Vincent Price, um, like, roles. I mean, he does so much with, like, a look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it almost does kind of have that Cheney-esque sort of, um, to bring it back to Phantom, like, um, you know, where... You know, again, he doesn't talk a lot, so he has to sort of do like that silent era kind of yeah. thing of of really over like uh, like over, I guess, like um, exaggerating mm-hmm. his expressions. But but they're, they're done in a way that doesn't feel like hammy. Um, it's just fun. Like there's just yeah, it, it it is. It's fantastic. Like like again, if it's a little hard to see right now because I, I looked it up really quick and it's not, it appears to not be streaming. Um, and the um, Vincent Price collection that it was included in is out of print, but um, it will be getting re-released, as I said, and Andre mentioned that earlier as well. Um, so it will soon mm-hmm. be available and I highly, I highly recommend and, it. And also, you know, I'm not saying you could probably find it freely hosted on a video uh, sourcing site and you might be able to just type it into a search bar for, um, uh, you know, there might be a site that rhymes with uh, uh, BrewTube that might have a searchable copy of it. Maybe. I don't know. Not saying, but um Rhymed, rhymed with blue loop. <laughs> it does. It might. <laughs> and uh, maybe you can just type in, type it into that search bar and find a pretty high quality copy if you can't find one for rent or to purchase just yet. Um, who who knows? knows? Weird. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty. I mean, I'm. I'm really excited about the the Kino edition though because like I have the Scream Factory edition and it's good, but I mean like it's not like a 2k or a 4k yeah. so my hope is that because it's such it is such a gorgeous Kino restorations film. I mean, are, it, are fantastic so i'm definitely yeah it's, it's definitely a must buy on my 
on my list, um, my infinitely long I want to acquire this film list. Um, I, I'd have to say I, I want to echo what everybody's saying. It's um, for an er- uh, I mean, just in general, it's a great film. Vincent Price's performance is uh, complex and kind of bombastic, but in a good way, like it actually fits the character. It's not extravagance for its own sake. Um, loads of charisma. The I, I love the revengey sort of monomaniacal campaign aspect of it all, because I mean, I feel like he as as perverse and sociopathic as it becomes actually loves his wife right like unlike the phantom who is obsessed he actually like i mean i kind of get it not not if like you know doctors are are working hard on someone and and it just doesn't work out unfortunately but like you know i am exactly that sort of person of someone actually wronged my my you know my lady love i for legal purposes this is all hypothetical and i wouldn't do anything but you know, they'd have a bad day is all I'm saying. So I get that ethos, like who among us wouldn't. Right. And he takes that to a freaking extreme. I, I love the, the visuals of it. I think he's a very, uh, John Kramer, like, like elaborate themed contraptiony deaths, uh, type of character. Except that mm-hmm. it's um, his motives make a little bit more sense. And whereas like the Saw movies have that like grimy, like nine inch nails rave in a parking garage look um, where it's <laughs> yeah. all gray, grimy grossness. It's a lot of G's. Um, this <laughs> one is like if a Saw movie was like set in a Willy Wonka factory. Like, it's vibrant, it's beautiful, like, it's horrific at the same time because the deaths are conceptually horrific. It's not the goriest thing in the world, but, like, the actual concepts of them make you just, like, take a step back sometimes and go, like, well, goddamn, one, that's disturbing, and two, I'm still a little impressed, you know? Um, It's extreme. I think the the most like out there death i think and i actually thought it was pretty funny after the fact was uh the unicorn head that was catapulted across oh. uh london streets oh, that was great. and impales this guy dead center in the chest like i there's no way you can convince me that dr fives knew exactly where he was going to be at that exact moment to <laughs> do that but it's just so like 66 batman plus the blood uh that it just works in a comedic fashion, especially when the um, the detective inspector and his uh, associate are like trying to take it out of the wall, but they have to unscrew him, and you just see his legs just going in a circle in the mm-hmm. background of like the shot of someone like I don't know like reading something or uh, writing down something in a library. I think yeah, I think it's a library, uh, and yeah, that was just like. It was the most slapstick that that movie ever got, but it still wasn't. It, it didn't uh, take away from any of the uh, the shocking, grandiose mm-hmm. uh, nature of revenge that it's depicting. 
totally agree. Because, because yeah, like I'm, I'm not one of those people that like I love horror movies, absolutely. Uh, but I'm not the biggest slasher fan. In general, there, there's ones like Halloween that I absolutely love to pieces. But uh, the reason why I bring that up is because I'm not one of those people that will watch a horror film and be like, oh, to like a, a kill. Right. Like, that's not me. However, for this particular film, I like that almost the whole time because it's so clever in the way that they execute it, that um, that I just got joy out of the thing. And so I, I think I was going to go for four and a half stars, but I think I just talked myself up to a five because it gave me straight up go. joy. Um, obviously, because I'm, I'm enjoying ta- just talking about it right now. I want to watch it again right now. Um, but yeah, five out of five for me. Um, I think it really kind of connects to our larger themes, too, of like love driving someone to madness. And in this case, it actually is love, not obsession. He becomes obsessed, revenge, but it's not like he just became infatuated with someone and is killing for them. Like he had love. It was taken from him and then uh, drove him bonkers, murdery bonkers. Murdery bonkers. So. I had this really kind of cool uh, encounter that I, I feel like would be kind of neat to share. Um, so uh, this was like probably like mid 2000s, um, like one of the first or second Monster Mania conventions, um, which is like huge now. But like at the time they were like just starting out and they had this Vincent Price uh, tribute. So they had um, Roger Corman there. They had uh, Hazel Court. And they had Caroline Monroe, who, of course, is in Fives. Um, she plays the um, Mrs. Fives. Um, and uh, it was so funny because, uh, like, she was talking about how their their one and only scene was um, the finale and um, where he, like, lays down next to her. And she's like, she's like, oh, it was so awkward, but it was, like so hilarious at the same time and um i mean i can kind of imagine like that being like your first sort of like meeting (laughs) you know in this like makeup and like having to play essentially like a corpse and um you know i don't i don't think that's too spoilery because i won't get into like the details of it or anything but like uh she had she had really uh great stories to tell about Vincent. He said he was so nice, so professional. Um, that was such an amazing weekend because um, I got to meet her and I got to meet oh. Hazel Court and she was so incredible. And uh, of course, Roger Corman, uh, that was like one of the coolest things ever. Like he wasn't signing, but he took time to like, Signed some autographs anyways. Like, I didn't really stalk him, but I did kind of, like, um, like low-key stalk him and got a photo <laughs> together with him. Um, I mean, yeah, it's Roger Corman. Like, I would probably have done the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it was like, uh, but gosh, what a, what a nice person. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, I think, it, like, that was kind of a fun story. So she... Um, had a great time uh filming her i guess they filmed like 
a day with her and uh gosh i love that movie uh i it was it was kind of great to uh rewatch it in preparation for this um so yeah i mean i feel like it's one of those ones that uh you know cuz there's a lot of movies from the the 70s that get a lot of uh very rightful love and a lot of um you know a lot of people know to seek them out and to see them a lot of people have seen them um many iconic films coming out of the 70s but it, this is one from the early 70s that i feel people should i feel like it's a little bit underseen and people should check it out because yeah. it holds up it's a lot of fun it's the right kind of campy but it's but everything it's executed in a fun, campy way, but everything is still so conceptually shocking that it's not just cheesy. It actually yeah. is a good horror film of the 70s. Well, and it's so funny because it like I had to remind myself like of the date because it feels almost like a mid 60s film. Um, and just kind of the sort of like aesthetic even though the aesthetic is like again 20s art deco it kind of has this like charming sort of 60s kitschy vibe mm-hmm. um but uh andre you saying this like plays out almost like a like the 60s batman tv show like it, i've never really thought of it like that but that is like yeah that is so it's almost um, like a like an amicus batman villain film yeah if that makes any sense um his like car coach (laughs) even has like paintings on the outside of the window of like his face and profile which i love to fucking death especially the back window where it's just the back of his head um and you know like it's just little details like that that just made me really fall in love with this thing you know what's actually funny you mentioned that because uh one of the i don't know if y'all remember uh your 1960s batman tv series lore but one of the villains that was created specifically for it as like a one of his major villains was king tut this uh yeah uh egyptian themed one so really like fives is like if king tut were scary and an organist i guess (laughs) (laughs) i mean what other uh, hobbies are you gonna have in 1925 you know what i mean like uh he he works it he makes it he makes it sell yeah yeah as a oogie boogie gimp pretty much (laughs) i would say that if you kind of like this sort of like broad kind of horror comedy i also think theater of blood with vincent price is like or even going as far as like uh, Madhouse as well because like he plays oh, yeah, yeah. that like that monster character mm-hmm. but it's very much about him in a movie about him making movies of that monster character mm-hmm. so it's it goes a little bit more meta in that sense or like theater of blood is just like he plays an actor and like that's pretty much as far as it goes in terms of uh, nudge nudge wink wink at the audience mm-hmm with the um the horror framing of that but madhouse just goes another step further where it, it seems to like take an extra step back also with peter cushing um like they yeah. have a nice little party moment and like i don't think i've ever smiled so much at the opening of a movie like seeing them two mm-hmm. like chumming up in the beginning mm. um but 
uh, I, I do want to come back to Fives and, and point out that this one thing that the character does and is known for, at least in his own, um, well, in the opening from, from there at least, uh, is that he he's not only like a famous organist who um, had like articles and concerts and everything written about him, but he created his own mechanical like uh, automaton jazz band that you crank yeah. and then just plays for him. Oh, weird! Which happens up like, like in the the beginning of the movie, and some of his victims get to see and hear it, and it's got like this really uncanny valley quality. You can tell that there's actors underneath like these paper mache ish helmets that are just playing the music, but they're meant to be like life size. Uh, almost gear-operated robots. Um, it felt very Doctor Who to me. Yeah, we're like, he's almost an evil genius when it comes to that. Like that, plus yeah. the advent of him being able to recreate his voice and like plug in a cable into like whatever receiver phonograph thing so he can speak without moving his lips because he can't do Aren't that. Aren't they called the Clockwork Wizards? Uh, Yes, the Clockwork yeah. Wizards. Yeah. Um, and might I add that when I first saw this, my thought was that it was like a demented Chuck E. Cheese. You could also read it yeah. that way. Or like, this is the uh, low-tier showbiz pizza. Like, this, this is where like the bad <laughs> kids go for their uh, in- entertainment. <laughs> the good kids go to Chuck E. Cheese. Amazing. The bad kids get to visit their handy dandy local Doctor Fives. <laughs> or like Jesus. They um you could also posit the theory that if this movie wasn't so specifically about like the nine murders and like his only reason for doing these is to get back at those who wronged his wife or like robbed her of a chance at life again, you could read it as the clockwork wizards were also people who wronged him in his previous lifetime mm. you know mm-hmm. like mummify um, or something like that and just he puts the helmets on and makes like, them play the music yeah like a house of wax kind of situation with that yeah right. which would also be another reference to another vincent price remake which yep. um which is kind of fun so i might just put that in my head for like a rent-free moment <laughs> look, look all we're saying is if we're doing like Vincent Price recommendations, I will add that you should watch everything he's ever done because Vincent Price is awesome. Um, also, if you want to see Vincent Price with a southern accent, um, the movie Laura, the pretty great uh film noir, mm-hmm. but Vincent Price with a southern accent is really something, <laughs> shucks, y'all. Um, that's funny. Um, well, I, I feel like we've really, really dug into both of these films and kind of how they pertain to today's theme. Um, you know, uh, this is going to come out on Valentine's day and, uh, for the folks at home who, um, thank you for spending some time with us, uh, instead of your loved ones or with your loved ones, hopefully, um, you kind of curl up by the fire and put on humanoids from the deep dive. And then they're going to look at you funny because these are about people that literally went insane and started killing people. Um, Listen, all we're saying is so romantic. Put on a little smooth jazz. Put us on in the in the 
foreground and there you go when you a man evening. loves killing the enemies of his woman um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know if you hear the walls talking to you telling you how beautiful you are uh don't walk don't into do that. it just just maybe <laughs> absolutely avoid it. you know if you hear organ music it's like thank you for the compliment thank you no. thank you for that that's an important safety tip um if you hear organ music um ever apparently Walk directly towards it apparently if you ever, <laughs> ever. hear organ music fucking run as home just i mean that's kind of my that's my whole ethos anyway yeah yeah if you if you meet a gentleman who's killing people in an oddly elaborate egyptian mythology that's never really the connections never really explained to you but he's doing it um maybe stay away from that person you know they yeah. they went through some stuff yeah, unless, unless it's vincent price and then do hang out with that person because that person's bad <laughs> as hell but um yeah you know uh the, the, these both your films show the extent to which um you know, love might drive someone mad and uh, and hopefully it, uh, uh, it's a cautionary tale on this loveiest of love holidays. But thank you for for spending some time with us. Um, is there anything that uh, any other themes that y'all caught up to that um, that we haven't broached? Oh, I was just going to say, um I feel like we covered it and mostly like, you know, if you were like, were like me and you were like, wow, Phantom is so romantic. <laughs> and then he like steals you away into a basement and takes, takes you on a mm -hmm. boat ride and a horse ride. Um, that's the definition of not romantic. Yes. So maybe just like, just a little reminder that like these are not healthy ways to mm -hmm. show your love. Um, so hopefully you're spending your time above ground. Yes. Uh. Yeah. You know, that's got me thinking of the, the Human League song, Don't You Want Me, which I think was written by the spirit of the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> which was a, a very non-mutual obsessive love affair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you so, know, <laughs> healthy relationships um you matter so don't let anybody control you and act like it's love and um yeah and if you're single this holiday um stay that it way. might be quite cathartic to watch these <laughs> yes <Yeah. films. laughs> and i feel like you could do for, yeah, you'll have um, a good time and if you find yourself identifying with any of these people uh maybe reconsider some things yeah Yes, and find help. Yes, uh, there there are apps for that. Ex ex exactly. <laughs> like, um. People waiting to help you are standing by. <laughs> um, but at that, um, um, thank you. Uh, was there anything else that? Um... Doctor Fives is a famous organist. Um, at the very beginning of the movie, he rises up from the depths where he's playing the organ, and there's a specific theme that gets repeated over and over. At least when he needs to go up and down in his organ elevator. So that piece is The War March of the Priests by uh, Felix Mendelssohn. Mm. It's in incidental music to a play uh, that much is not too important, but the specific composer had quite an interesting life, but um, specifically pointing to his death, he had described death in a letter to a stranger as a place 
um, quoted as, where it is hoped there is still music, but no more sorrow or partings, which I think is very apt for uh, another music-centric individual as Dr. Fibes, where the only thing that exists for him in death is companionship, and that's all he cares mm-hmm. about. Man, that was, that was legit. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, know if that was awesome. intentional, but it fits perfectly. Um, Amazing. Take it. Well, hey, um, at that, um, yeah, happy Valentine's Day, folks. And now that you're, um, yeah. if you watch this with your loved one, assuming that you, you have someone, uh, if not, we love you anyway. Um, and if so, I'm sure they're probably looking at you funny. And uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Also, I feel like I'm so proud of us. We did not make a single organ joke. Yeah, look at that. Until now. I even oh. said the words organ elevator, and none of you giggled. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I mean, I was thinking it, but I was like, nobody else is biting, so I don't want to be like I the mean, lone pervert here. No one so would bite unless they asked for it. So, I don't know what y'all are talking about, but I always record with utmost professionalism. <laughs> Love it. So true. So true. And, I mean, and, and me as well, like, this is a professional show, and at no point did I or would I ever make a joke about cranking it to old pornography? Um, didn't happen. So, <laughs> folks at home, thank you for listening to this very family-friendly podcast about murder and sex and violence. And have a lovely uh, Valentine's Day, and thank you for spending time with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. Um, uh uh, as always, we'd like to end the show allowing our illustrious co-host an opportunity to tell you uh, where you can find them, and you should because they're great. Um, I'm going to have Andre go first this time because he's going to be putting this bad boy together. So, Andre, would you like to go first? Yeah. Um, you can always find me on Twitter. Uh, I am at Demoni Disco. Uh, that's Demoni with a D, Disco with a D. And uh, on celluloid consomme through medium.com. I am posting there a little bit more infrequently because I might be having some film articles come out on a different um, platform as of now. So more Ooh. news on that later whenever that's up. Um, otherwise, I'm always, always, always on Letterboxd. You can find me there by the name Hamburger Harry. I watch movies every day i write about them every day and you can choose to read or not read them every day <laughs> every day <laughs> and you should um you should check them the f out thank you so much mike would you like to go next this time sure um so uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Strange Cinema 65. I also have a book that you can find on Amazon called The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema. And I have not one but two um, shows going on for Geek Vibes podcast on YouTube. Uh, one is um, a podcast called Return of the Living Geeks. And the other one is called The Video Attic, where I talk about 
some really great home video releases and some kind of cool obscure movies that are coming out on Blu-ray. Um, so that is uh, currently what I'm doing. So definitely check that out. And um, yeah, so um, give that a subscribe and uh, check it out. Love it. Uh, as always, thank you for being on. And um, I just want to point out that we were the first podcast not to have you guest, but to be like, this motherfucker needs to be on a fucking podcast. Um, uh-huh. So um, eye for talent. I'm going to I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Um, speaking of pulling talented people onto the show, uh, Luna, thank you for being on today's episode. Uh, would you like to tell the folks at home how they can find you? Absolutely. You can find me at uh, Luna underscore Minui. That's M-I-N-U-I-T on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And uh, I have a, I'm working very hard on a show right now that will be hitting the stage in Richmond, Virginia on March 25th. We are selling boatloads of tickets right now, which is great news. You're going to want to jump in on it if you're in the area. Um, it is uh, a an aerial production of um, Alice in Wonderland, oh. and it's dope as fuck. So that sounds awesome. Uh, check it out if you're around, and if you're not, cry about it. <laughs> as I am gonna have to do, but uh, believe me, if there were honestly, it's the best advertisement for going to Virginia that I've seen in a long time. So I'm saying, <laughs> um, That's what I'm here this for. this show's not sponsored by Virginia, uh, <laughs> West or I mean, regular. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for 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 um for being on. And uh, uh, as always, folks at home, you can find me at uh, on Twitter. I'm very active at uh, Real Jeff Ewing R E E L. Uh, you can find my writings at at Forbes, at Slash Film, at Looper sometimes. And um, uh, you can find me here, which you know that because you already did. And uh, I also have a new thing that's going to be going on. Uh, looks like every week for the next eight weeks, I'm going to be doing an after show uh, for the new Apple series Severance, which is going to be a blast. And we st- I start that next week, I believe. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you're certainly going to find out about it. So thanks for spending some Valentine's Day with us. And we love you. And have a good one. Love you. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 